Hi everyone and welcome to the Product Marketing Life podcast brought to you by Product Marketing Alliance. My name is Emma Bellotti. I'm a content marketer here at PMA. This episode is sponsored by Fletcher CSI, experts at win-loss analysis as well as competitive primary research projects. Fletcher CSI's reports are clear, actionable and strategic with their work being used by the top brands in tech. They balance skillful research with the latest tools including win-loss management and competitive market monitoring platforms. For more information, visit FletcherCSI.com technology. As part of this series, we're connecting with PMMs all over the world about various product marketing topics. And in this episode, we're joined by Alexander Becker, product marketer, managing partner at Dawn Room Fund, and now author. And we'll be discussing his new book, The Product Marketing Field Guide. Thanks for joining us, Alex. Thanks for having me, Emma. It's great to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Um, so today we're going to talk a little bit about your book, um, The PMM Field Guide. Can you tell us a little bit about it and the role that inspired you to write this? Absolutely. So, you know, product marketing is is my profession, but it also is my passion. Um, mm-hmm. And and like many PMMs today, I really found the role somewhat accidentally. Um, I actually worked in tech banking right out of undergrad uh, and then had helped build a, a sales team at a B2B software company. Um, and I was lucky enough to uh, essentially be recruited to join a, a product marketing team that we had just started uh, and to find a really incredible manager and mentor um, who really introduced me to the field. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I realized that, that most product marketers, uh, you know, I got lucky, uh, but many, many folks were interested in the field or many folks who were starting uh, office product marketers uh, kind of didn't have that, uh, that sort of entryway uh, into the field. And so uh, I'm currently a, uh, an MBA student and I looked out and saw that, uh, no one had really taken an in-depth look into what B2B product marketing is going to look like mm-hmm. five years from now. Uh, and so I, I did what you know PMMs do, which is I went out and started asking questions. I uh, interviewed 23 CMOs, marketing leaders, and, and product marketing experts from some of the most interesting B2B software companies out there uh, and essentially collected their wisdom and, and created this book, which I, I really see as kind of aimed at two groups. So one is um, early stage PMMs that are trying to chart out their career and the skills they want to build. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second group is is product marketing leaders at B2B SaaS companies that are trying yeah. to understand the role and the types of teams they want to build. So I'd like to talk a little bit about the process of writing a book. First of all, where did you find the time? Um, and what was your writing process? Did you have like a particular routine you found helpful? Absolutely. It, it was definitely a, uh, a large project, to, to put it mildly. Um, but I was lucky enough to do it uh, while I was a, a full-time business student. So I had a little more time and, and had some incredible support from the uh, Center for Digital Strategies at the Tuck School at Dartmouth, uh, mm-hmm. where I'm a student. Um, but my kind of overall process for the ebook uh, essentially had three phases. Um, so first was to could create an outline based on a core set of questions uh, that I developed from my experience as a PMM as, as well as a bunch of secondary research on uh, the SaaS market and, and kind of where the SaaS space is going. Um, second phase was to identify a, a long list of experts, kind of each of which I felt had uh, kind of unique experiences and unique perspectives on the set of questions, reach out to them and, and set up uh, interviews. And then lastly, kind of once I'd done my interviews, done my secondary research, it was really a question of pulling out 
key trends and insights from each one of those conversations and trying to get those experts sort of into a conversation with each other, even though they weren't in the same room. Yeah. Um, it was important that this feel like a conversation, this feel authentic and not like a, uh, you know, a Wall Street Journal article or, mm-hmm. or a, a white paper. Um, you know, and in terms of, of daily process, two things I think were really critical for me. One was writing consistently, you know, not just getting up and, and waiting for inspiration to strike, but but really forcing myself to make progress every day. Yeah. Uh, and the second one was was writing like I talk. Um, I think you know you you sort of learn this as a marketer and a copywriter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you're writing for a business audience, it can be very tempting to try to sound businessy, uh, <laughs> which I think I think does very few favors to either the the writer or the reader. Uh, and so you know, making sure the book uh, you know sounded like this conversation and a conversation I'd have with a friend was was important. So one of my favorite parts of the ebook was the history of B2B product marketing and how much we can learn from the past. So for anyone that's unfamiliar with that history, um, because there were certainly aspects I had no idea about, can you walk us through it? Yeah, it's it's funny. I think sometimes in tech we are so focused on what comes next that we kind of forget how we got <laughs> where we where we are. Yeah. Um, and and the fascinating thing about product marketing uh, is it is even in the software industry, which is, you know, itself not all that old, um, a comparatively young role. So if you, you know, go back and and talk to, to folks who've been in the industry a long time, you know, they'll tell you that essentially pre-2000, uh, you very rarely saw folks in the B2B SaaS space with product marketing titles. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a, a few reasons to that for that, but the the largest one um, was that sort of back in the the early days of enterprise software, Competition was was much lower than it is today. There were just fewer companies in the space. Um, change happened at a at a much slower uh, pace, and a lot of the kind of responsibilities that today we put under the product marketing umbrella, things like customer research, things like competitive intel, uh, could essentially be handled by a combination of traditional corporate marketers, um, product managers. And so there, you know, the forces in the industry hadn't really created a need for product marketing yet. Mm-hmm. Um, right around 2000 and, and in kind of the early days of the SaaS revolution, kind of the shift from on-prem to SaaS products, um, there were really three forces that, that changed things. One is that software started getting much cheaper to develop. Um, two is that customer expectations around features and the pace of change expanded wide, uh, wildly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and three is that the market, all of a sudden, as it was easier to launch products, as customers had greater expectations, the market started to get a lot more competitive. And so all of a sudden, you needed a dedicated role within SaaS companies that could focus more deeply on customer and market research than uh, a product manager typically has time to do, um, that understood product and segmentation better than a a traditional corporate marketer, and that could help sales break through the noise and and compete in this increasingly cutthroat space. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, these forces uh, really came together to kind of make the case that product marketing should be a dedicated role. And, you know, if you look at the last 20 years, as as those forces have gotten stronger, you're seeing product marketing as as a role grow as a result. So how do you think the problems of product marketing's past can help the future of the role? It's a a great question. And and there's a a quote in the book that I love from Jake Cohen, who's head of product marketing at Klaviyo, uh, where he basically says that uh, people hire because they identify a problem 
mm-hmm. and they label the solution to that problem with with a job title. And so, you know, if you if you kind of look at the core problems that created product marketing, it's it's basically two things. You know, one is growth has gotten uh, that software development has gotten cheaper, uh, and growth has gotten more expensive. You can basically understand the future of the SaaS industry and the future of the role through those two forces. And mm-hmm. I think if you ask kind of anyone in the industry today or or kind of look at the data we have around things like customer acquisition cost, you know, just the the sheer growth of different verticals, uh, it's pretty clear that neither of those forces uh, are going to slow down in, in the near future. Uh, you know, I don't think we're going to wake up in five years and see that markets are less competitive mm-hmm. uh, or that, uh, you know, technical trends have reversed and all of a sudden software is more expensive to create. Yeah. And so, you know, as we look at product marketing moving forward, I think that a lot of these sort of predictions and uh, kind of solutions in the space are going to ultimately tie back to, to those two forces of uh, cost of development and cost of growth. So one of the predictions in the book was that the next five years will make or break B2B product marketing. Can you talk us through how you came to that conclusion? Absolutely. And I, and I need to start by saying I am massively optimistic about the future of product marketing. So, so there, you know, there is my, my bias, obviously it's, it's where I've chosen to make my career. Yeah. But, uh, but if you look at the data, there are kind of, is a really interesting tension. And, and in the book, I call it the tension between unlimited, unlimited promise uh, and yeah. lingering uncertainty. Um, and so on, on the promise side, we see, for example, that 59% of PMMs across organizations are seeing product marketing become more strategic within their companies. And, and that's great data from the uh, the state of product marketing report that the PMA did. Um, we're seeing more CMOs come from product marketing backgrounds. Um, product marketers in, in many organizations are increasingly trusted as uh, essentially the quarterbacks of go-to-market strategy. And, mm-hmm. and in many cases are, are directly tied to uh, to revenue. Um, and so these trends, you know, really show that product marketing as a role has the potential to be this strategic linchpin for uh, for SaaS companies moving forward. At the same time, though, there's there's uncertainty about the role, and and you see it in a couple different areas. Um, so one is, you know, again, really interesting data from the PMA, uh, which shows that just five percent of product marketers feel that their organizations fully understand the role. Yeah. Um, and, and this is, you know, at a point where the role has been around, you know, in one form or another for, for over two decades. Mm-hmm. Um, in many organizations, there are pain points around kind of low trust in product marketing. Um, in, in some organizations, lack of clarity around what should sit with product marketing, what should sit with product management. Yeah. And there's this larger trend, um, and, and Casey Winters, who's chief product officer at, at Eventbrite, actually wrote a blog post about this, where we see in, in some organizations, you know, many of the responsibilities that have traditionally fallen to product marketing getting essentially unbundled and consumed by different teams and, and kind of more specialized roles. So mm-hmm. you, know, you see companies that have kind of uh, market insights teams that are taking some of that, that research work away from product marketing or um, uh, kind of data and insights teams that are kind of getting more specialized uh, around sort of uh, data skills that, that PMMs used to uh, used to handle. Yeah. Um, this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it does raise this question of, you know, five years from now, are you still going to have a dedicated product marketing role or will you see 
parts and pieces of the role handled by by other teams and, and new roles we may make up. Um, I think that's an interesting question, more likely vary across organizations, but it's an interesting question for PMs to think about. For sure. Um, so what was the most surprising statistic for you when you were researching this book? Yeah, so so this is another one um, from the uh, the Product Marketing Alliance, uh, which <laughs> did a, a I, you know, best best research in, in the space. So why not? Uh, why oh, not use it, right? thank you. We love <laughs> a PMA plug on this show. <laughs> Um, but one of the things I found fascinating is that if you look at the PMA's last uh, product marketing tools of choice report, it lists 203 software tools across 15 different categories that are used by and, and really critical to, to PMMs. Um, with the exception of competitive intelligence tools, almost none of these tools typically have product marketers as the primary purchasing decision maker within yeah. a SaaS company. And, and this is not surprising. I mean, product marketing is, is a cross-functional role, and, and it makes sense uh, that, that PMMs wouldn't necessarily own something like a, a product data platform or, or a CRM. Mm-hmm. But I think as competition increases, as PMMs increasingly have to make faster decisions um, and, and gain insights on customers faster, uh, there will be really interesting questions around in the future, do you see product marketers having a uh, a larger seat or a larger say when those products are purchased. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I was, you know, as I started thinking about the tools that I used as a PMM, it, it rang true. Like, man, we used a lot of different tools, but we were rarely the ones actually purchasing <laughs> them. Yeah. So one of the most interesting predictions for me was that B2B SaaS products will become like radically more flexible across almost every vertical, which I think is something we're definitely seeing already to some extent in the B2B sphere. But how do you see product marketers adapt into this? Yeah, it's, it's you know, and this could be an entire entire book uh, you know, in and of <laughs> itself, but but I think the, the macro changes that, you know, today we think of low code, no code as a, a separate category of software mm-hmm. products. But you know, in the future, I think you know, we can fully expect that the ability for users to build and customize flexible systems without needing engineering or without needing a, a sort of a custom team um, is going to be table stakes in terms mm-hmm. of how we interact with software. Uh, and so as I talk to, to different PMMs, especially folks at highly flexible products like Notion, um, two kind of key changes really surfaced. So one was that in a world where users expect to build all sorts of different things with a product that may or may not be what they start using it for initially, product marketers will have to focus much more on user education in their top of funnel messaging. Mm-hmm. So if you think of a product like Airtable or a product like Notion, um, it is critical in terms of conversion that a user understand what they can actually do with this product and what they can build with it and some you know, aspect of how it works before they actually sign up. The, the second shift, in, and this is something that a lot of different uh, products have, or a lot of different product marketing teams have sort of struggled with and, and attacked in different ways, mm-hmm. is that when you have a highly flexible product, all of a sudden, your users may surface use cases that you didn't even think about. Uh, you may have really interesting uses for your product um, that sort of pop up from your, your user community. And so, you know, I think a, a critical shift for product marketers in the future will be figuring out 
when is it important to surface a user-generated use case and use it to inform your positioning and your messaging? Mm -hmm. And when are there user-generated use cases that you know may be a great fit for a certain user, but are actually something that you want to sort of push back against or or not highlight just because there are you know long-term strategic implications for your product? Mm-hmm. So product-led growth has been somewhat of a hot topic too, and it's something that you cover in the book. So how do you think product marketing factors into this? Absolutely. You know, I will start by saying I'm a, a fan of, of PLG models, but I'm certainly not a, not a PLG absolutist. Um, I sort of <laughs> think of it as, as a spectrum. Um, you have everything from full-on PLG models where the product does all of your customer acquisition uh, to companies that use hybrid models where they have sales working on certain accounts in a PLG funnel elsewhere um, to companies that essentially fit PLG sidecar products into uh, kind of specific aspects of their product, but but still rely largely on a sales-led model. Yeah. So, you know, th- I think it's important to set the stage that there is not going to be one answer in terms of PLG in the future. But largely, if you think about a world where a end user's first touch point is your product, not necessarily talking to a member of the sales team, and where uh, a product is, in many cases, targeted at the end users who use that product every day rather than a senior enterprise buyer, I think there are essentially four key shifts that, that PMMs will need to think about. Mm-hmm. So one is that B2B PMMs will increasingly need to learn B2C skills. Um, if you think about the funnel someone uses to sign up for an app, uh, a consumer app on their phone, you know there are kind of key marketing skill sets to create that funnel that B2B PMMs in PLG environments will, will need to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, in PLG models, there's much more of a focus on product data and activation metrics, essentially because you don't have a, uh, you know, an, an implementation team or an individual reaching out to do white glove onboarding. Uh, and the, the positive thing for PMMs is that in a world where you can directly measure how a customer is interacting with your product right after signup, uh, that makes product marketing, the messaging and the positioning that are used to bring a user into the product much more measurable and measurable um, much faster mm-hmm. than uh, kind of waiting for an implementation process to occur. Um, the next key shift is, you know, traditionally PMMs have message to buyer personas. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have a senior executive at a, at a company, you know, they're going to be your, uh, your first stop. And so you build a messaging stack directly for them. Mm-hmm. In a PLG world, Oftentimes, those senior buyers are only brought into the process after a critical mass of end users have started to use your product. And so PMMs in the future will have to get better at building messaging that is relevant both to end users who simply want to sign up or swipe a credit card and get started, Mm -hmm. and ultimately to senior buyers who may choose to do enterprise deals down the line. The uh, the last kind of key shift, and again, this is one that, that could spend a lot of time on and, and I think will be interesting to see in the future mm-hmm. is that in a world where the first stop for an end user wanting to use your product is, is not sales, but the product itself, growth marketing skills and product marketing skills, I think will start to converge in some really interesting ways. Mm-hmm. And you will see 
an increasing number of product marketers who have experience with, or at least an understanding of the kind of analytical frameworks and, and structures of experimentation that growth marketers use. Mm-hmm. So that kind of brings me on to my next question, actually. Uh, with the rise of SaaS businesses, do you feel like this opens the door for people with more varying skill sets than we've previously seen in product marketing? And do you think this will make for an easier transition into the industry? Absolutely. And I think one of the things that is unique and kind of wonderful about product marketing is that almost everyone gets there somewhat accidentally. Yeah. Uh, you know, no, no one studies product marketing in, in school. It's it's fairly rare, although I think it's increasingly happening that, that you get folks, you know, coming right out of undergrad into PMM roles. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as I've interviewed and, and worked with some some really amazing product marketing leaders, I, you know, I've, I've seen them come from everywhere from management consulting to sales to, you know, in many cases, product marketers who, who were previously customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think because the role is so cross-functional and growing so quickly, I expect the willingness to hire PMMs who have really valuable skills and knowledge, but who haven't necessarily done a specific product marketing role in the past will, yep. will only increase. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Alex. Um, where can our listeners find the Product Marketing Field Guide? Yes. So the uh, the full ebook will be available on the Product Marketing Alliance site uh, starting next Wednesday, April 21st. So uh, stay tuned and uh, would love to get uh, you know feedback and, and ideas from anyone who reads it. I'm excited to uh, to launch this out to the world. Yeah, it, it's really great. Obviously, like I read it for the research for the show and um It's fantastic and it looks great and you should definitely download it. Thanks so much, Emma. (laughs) Thanks again, Alex. Bye. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to sponsor an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are.